I will read verses 1 through 19 this morning. It's quite a lengthy passage and obviously uh, some unfamiliar names to us. But let us now give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy and inspired word. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. The sons of Japheth are Gomer and Magog and Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshel, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer are Ashkenaz, <clears throat> excuse me, Ashkenaz and Riptah and Togama, and the sons of Javan, Elshah and Tarshish. Kittim and Dodim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his families in their nations. And the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, Canaan. The sons of Cush are Seba, Havilah, and Sabtah, and Ramah, and Sabteca. And the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Didon. And Cush begat Nimrod. He became a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. Out of the land went forth Ashur, and builded Nineveh in the city of Rehoboth and Kalah, and Resin between Nineveh and Kalah, the same is a great city. And Mizram begat Ludim, and Anaman, and Lehaban, and Naphtulim, and Pathrishim, and Caslehim, out of which came the Philistines, and Kaphrotim. And Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. The Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvadite, and the Zemurite, and the Hamathrite, and afterward the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. And the border of Canaanites were from Sidon, as thou comest to Gerar, unto Gaza, and thou goest unto Sodom, and Gomorrah, and Adamah, and Zeboim even unto Lashah. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As we come to this passage this morning in Genesis, this is one of the most overlooked chapters in the entire book of Genesis. Obviously, this is not a passage that pastors love to preach, and this is not one that pastors love to expound upon. In fact, if you recall throughout your Christian um, life, how many times have you heard a sermon or an exposition from Genesis chapter 11? As you come to this passage, I admit it is a tedious and academic exercise, and just the reading of the names can be quite difficult as you read through the text. But let us be reminded that all of Scripture is what? Necessary for our learning, 
and our instruction. Now, this is a genealogical record of the descendants of Noah, and it provides a record for us of the origin of the human race. After the flood destroyed the earth, God recreated the earth and filled it out of the descendants of Noah. You recall, and we saw this in the previous passage, that even after the flood wiped out the earth and God recreated the heavens and the earth, it states there that he called man to what? Fill the earth to reproduce and to fill the earth to the glory of God. As you look there in Genesis chapter 19, Moses records that of Noah's three sons, the entire earth was overspread, or that the whole population of the earth after the flood came from Noah's three sons and their wives. This genealogy is somewhat different from what you see in chapter 5. Chapter 5 gives the lineage of the generations of Adam's descendants, but the form here in chapter 10 is a record of nations and tribes, not just individuals. Now, there are individual names mentioned here in chapter 10, but they are ancestors that form nations and people groups. Now, for those of us who like genealogy, this is not your modern form of genealogy where you have descendants and their children recorded by order of their birth. This document is unique, and it's not even found among the genealogical records of the ancient Near East. But as we come to this passage, and, and I think um, Matthew Poole's comments on chapter 10 are helpful, because he said you don't want to get bogged down into detail of names and origins and all of that. The scripture passage here reveals some of that to us, but some of these names perhaps we are not familiar with. But as we come to verse 1, verse 1 introduces the chapter by showing us that this is a record of the generation of the sons of Noah who were born after the flood. Now, one thing you probably already note in the arrangement of this record is that this record is divided into headings. We see three groups, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 1 lists Noah's sons in the typical order, as it is seen in chapter 5, verse 32, and chapter 6, verse 10. The names are not arranged according to the order of their birth, as we often see but according to their importance and according to their significance. Most likely, and you can find this from passages in Genesis and through doing a little bit of research, most likely the birth order from the oldest to the youngest would have been Japheth, Shem, and Ham. We find in chapter 9, verse 22, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And then in verse 24, it says, Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. So the younger son noted here is whom? It is Ham. And so we find there 
that Ham was the youngest. And in chapter 10, verse 21, if you go down to verse 21, it says, These are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. And it says in verse 21, Unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Jacob, Japheth, the elder. And so Japheth there is indicated as the oldest. But in the headings of these three groups, we have in verses 2 through 5, the generations of Japheth. In chapter 6, or in verses 6 through 20, we have the generations of Ham. And then in verses 21 through 31, we have the generations of Shem. Do you notice anything in that record in verses 2 through 31 that's different? In the arrangement, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, each son is mentioned individually and the order is inverted. And so you begin with Japheth in verse 2, Ham in verse 6, and Shem in verse 21. Not as the order is listed in verse 1. Now that is not happenstance, or it's not just some scribe editing and just writing a certain order. Some would suppose that the ordering there of the three sons' names in verse 1 is just the way Moses wrote it. But notice it starts with Shem. That name is significant in redemptive history. And yet, in the text itself, that name is reverted along with the others. And so the inversion results in the genealogy ending with Shem's descendants. The record moves toward a climax. And it is in that line of Seth, or in that line of Shem, that we find the text moving toward the grand climax. Chapters 11 and chapters 12 will show us that Abraham is from the lineage of Shem. And this is the line through which the Messiah comes into the world. Shem is listed first in the typical arrangement to show his name is important in redemptive history. And so Shem is listed in first order because of the significance of his name as one through whom the blessings of the Messiah would come. Now the most important thing for us to see in this chapter is the blessing and cursings of the covenant that is seen throughout Genesis. Now oftentimes um, there is the rejection of, of a covenantal aspect of the Old Testament there are those who would disregard the Old Testament and just simply call themselves New Testament Christians. But I think as you understand the Old Testament, you see it in a covenantal aspect that God speaks to a, his people, that God interacts with his people by way of covenant. And so this is important because when we see God giving blessings, as we saw in chapter 9, as we see God cursing, we see those aspects of the covenant throughout Genesis. We do not want to miss, in the midst of all the names, the important point of these obscure and difficult names. 
Go back to chapter 9, there toward the end, and you see this blessing and cursing theme. Remember that Ham showed disrespect for his father. He looked upon his nakedness, and he goes and tells his brothers that he found their father naked. And so what does Noah do when he wakes up from his drunken stupor? He begins to question his younger son. Verse 24, Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And so what does he do? Does he curse Ham? No. He curses Ham's son, Canaan. He will be a servant of servants unto his brethren. Then when you look in the genealogy record there in chapter 10, you will find that in the lineage of Ham, you will see, verse 6, the sons of Ham are listed there, and Canaan is one of his sons. And so that is the son that is cursed. What we find here is that Moses records that he is cursing not just an individual, but he's cursing the race. And that's significant in redemptive history. So Ham is um, shown disrespect for his father, and yet this curse upon his son Canaan has far-reaching implication for the descendants of Canaan who become what? The Canaanites. Every time you see a nation listed, listed and it ends with ites, Canaanites, Jebusites, all of those various names, those are not Jewish names, those are Gentile names. And so those are people outside of the blessings of the covenant. And so that particular curse has significant for understanding the impact of the covenant in the book of Genesis. Shem and Japheth are blessed. Why? Because they showed respect and honor unto their father by covering his nakedness. And what is the blessing for Japheth? He will enlarge his tents. And that has reference to the Lord bringing the Ark of the Covenant in the midst of the people. And so that has um, ramifications for the blessings of the covenant in future generations. Verse 27 of chapter 9, God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Now, time doesn't allow us to go into all the details, but like for us to look at the structure of what is called the table of nations. It's called the table of nations or Toledoth because it records all the nations that came out from the earth after the time of the flood. And so when you look in verses 2 through 5, you see the generations of Japheth. This is the typical fashion that you see in this structure. First of all, there's a heading. And that heading is in verse 2, the sons of Japheth. There's seven sons. And so it mentions those in verse 2. And then you see the expansion of that heading of the sons of Japheth. In verses 3 and 4, the sons of Gomer, 
which are three sons, and the sons of Yavon are four sons. And then that particular structure ends with this phrase in verse 5, by these, that is, by these descendants were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families, and in their nations. And so that reference to isles is a reference you see in Isaiah chapter 11. It's a reference that is seen in chapter 42 of um, Isaiah, where it says the coastlands or the isles will what? Hear the news. And so this speaks of those who are Gentiles that are divided throughout the earth. Now, the descendants of Japheth, and most commentators and scholars are in agreement, even liberal scholars, the descendants of Japheth settle into the north and west and become the descendants of Europeans, Greeks, and Celts. And so when the gospel first came to Ireland, um, and Patrick began to preach the gospel there, it was because of the migration of these people that those nations were settled. And then when you come to the record in verses 6 through 20 of Ham, you see the same thing. You see the heading, the expansion of those generations, and the ending. So in Ham's lineage, there are sons of Ham, four of them in verse 6. And then you see the expansion in verses 7 through 19, which is quite lengthy. The sons of Cush. Cush begat Nimrod. Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. This was the beginning of the kingdom of Babel. And so Nimrod becomes a mighty hunter before the Lord. But what does Nimrod do? He goes and builds a city that we will see next week in chapter 11. Tower of Babel, which leads to that city of Babylon, that city that is judged by God. And so here in the lineage of Ham, he is judged and his nations are judged as well. We see um, the descendants there at the end of verse 19. You see the ending there. The border of the Canaanites was from Sidon as thou comes to Gerar. These are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues in their countries and in their nations. And so here is the second ending. It shows these are the generations. And you see this in the same fashion in, chapter, in verses 21 through 31. You see Shem. It's the heading in verses 21 and 22. Shem has five sons. See the expansion of those nations in verses 23 through 29. And then you see the ending in verses 29 through 31. And as you look at the ending, again it's seen in the same fashion. Verse 32, these are the families of the sons of Noah. These, verse 31, are the sons of Shem after their families and tongues in their lands and after their nations. And so the descendants of Shem settled into, or I'm sorry, the descendants of Ham, I forgot to mention, settle into Egypt, Southwest Asia and Africa. The Cushites 
settled into Sudan, modern-day Sudan. And then with Shem, his descendants settled into the eastern lands near the Persian Gulf. Now, as we think of all this, there are 70 nations listed here in this lineage. And it is out of those 70 nations that are scattered over the earth that the name of the Lord God becomes known to the nations. God showed his saving grace unto one nation under the Old Testament, but we don't want to miss the fact that God was not just interested in one kind of people. He was interested in bringing salvation to the entire human race, to every nation and tribe. So three points in closing this morning. And you can take the time to look at the record. The human race comes from one family. So this modern idea of different races is evolutionary in nature. When you look there in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says in that famous sermon he preached, He, that is God, hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell upon the earth and hath determined the times before appointed, the bounds of their habitations, that they should, what? Seek the Lord. And so these nations, created as one family under heaven, are created that they might find their habitation in God, that they might seek Him. But as we will discover, the human race is hopelessly divided by language, race, territory, and politics. Thirdly, the Lord calls a people out of all the nations of the earth as his elect, and it is the church, the household of God, that forms one united brotherhood who love and serve the Lord, their God. A lot of things here that we're not going to get into all the particulars of, but just to close with verse 32, these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations, in their nations, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. And so now all these nations scatter throughout the earth so that when Jesus gives that final commandment or commission to his disciples, go and what? Disciple the nations. Disciple the people groups scattered throughout all the earth by baptizing them and teaching them all things that I have commanded unto thee. And so coming to chapter 10, yes, it's, it's quite tedious. It's quite difficult to read through all of that. But we find here that the Lord in his sovereign mercy saves a people out of all the families of the earth, out of all of the nations, that there might be one people united together under one shepherd. Let us continue to worship our God and to give him glory as we sing together our next selection in our Psalter, Psalm 72c.
Blessed be 